Let's uh, continue to pray for Sophia Neo and the family and for Chris and Vivian to um, just, um, and, and for all of us to kind of watch um, how God will use uh, these two girls to be a source of blessing to others. Um, you know, one of the um, characteristics of Jesus' uh, life and ministry is um, it, it's a, there, there, there's a theme of constant protest against death and disease, right? And when Jesus heals, it's a statement that this is not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, and his death and his resurrection and his risen body and Easter is the first fruits of a new type of creation, right, where, where eternity and time merges, where uh, super nature kind of embeds in nature in this very mysterious way in the risen body of the Lord. And it's, it's just amazing. Um, scholars say nothing matches the realistic weirdness of all of the post-resurrection stories. Like, it's nothing you would expect if somebody were to, like, make up a good story. You know, Jesus doesn't glow, he's not, you know, but he's real and he's physical, but people don't recognize him, except they do, because no one dared to ask him if it was Jesus, because they knew it was. Like, what? Why, why, do, you, why do you even feel tempted to ask if it's Jesus, if, but then they knew that it was, so they didn't bother asking. Like, and, and it's, it's sort of sort of strange, and there's, like, I can go off on that, but if you really want to read up, read up on that, it's the, the book Miracles, and C.S. Lewis does a really good job, because he's a literary scholar, right? He's, he's read myth and folklore all his life, and, and, he, and he talks about it. Now, nothing in, 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 in Judaism, you know, contemporary antecedent or paganism, like, has any model for something like this, and, and what is it? Theologically, we understand what this is, is God, the creator, taking a a pinch of creation represented by Jesus' body in the incarnation. And the resurrection just simply proves the incarnation, right? Like, like that's the grand miracle is the incarnation. And the resurrection proves who this was, that this was indeed God in the flesh. And like, what does that mean? Not only what does that mean, what does that look like, right? So there's a lot there. You know, every Easter I feel like this. Every Easter I feel like, oh, I should preach 16 more times on Easter, um, but, uh, like, you know, to, to, to tease out all of these implications. But, but going back to my main point, um, the healings, uh, Jesus' resurrection, all of this is about life, right? Life. I've come to give life. He's the source of life. I'm the living bread. I'm the living water. Uh, he who believes in me, though he die, shall never die, live forever. Uh, so, Chris and Vivian finding solace in that idea of resurrection, of hope of, of, of heaven. Like what a source of sustenance it is uh, to, to know that this life isn't all there is. Like even non-Christians who are thoughtful have an inkling of this. Like, no, this can't be. And people think like, oh, you, you know, you're just being greedy. Of course, this life is all there is. You know, you, you wake up and, you know, life is a struggle, then you die. Uh, but no, no, this inkling like, oh, there's got to be more. Is, is a signal of eternity God planted in there. And to know that this life is not all there, to know uh, and, and to have the proof of that through the resurrection of Jesus uh, is, is then to be able to see life in a very different way. 
right? Like, you know, you know how, like, if you know how the movie ends, and, and, and good movies always end, like, the ending is like, wow, right? Like the choir. They could have really struggled in the middle. I'm not saying they did. But when they end it with, he, uh, and they hit those notes, ah, you just like, ah. Well, you know, if you know how the story ends, right? If you know how the story ends, then you can, you can read the middle differently, Wow, life is actually pretty short compared to eternity. And all our pains and tears in this world will become rightly sized in the grander perspective of heaven. Like, you know, we think this is it. You know, this little, no, it's like the first chapter. It's not even the first chapter. It's the first paragraph of the first chapter. No, it's the first sentence, first word, first letter, first drop of ink in the first chapter of a never-ending story. That sounds awful if you don't like long books. So that, that, I should have thought that metaphor through. Um, because, you know, the, the youth here, you know, you're made to read. But man, it's... It, so, so it gets rightly sized, and you can see it in this proper light. And, you're, and I'm not saying you can see all of it. You can see some of it, enough to understand, wow, I can hold on. Heaven and eternity says, hold on, there's more to come, like you're in the middle of the movie. It hasn't finished yet. Hold on. Withhold final judgment. Like, we don't say anything with finality. This is awful. This is awesome. Well, in the light of eternity... Let all of our judgments be humble and provisional. Hold on to it temporarily because the final picture will reveal all. As Paul said, Apostle Paul said, when we get to heaven, we will know as as we have been known. We're going to know things. And it'll all... I meant to ask one of the sisters this before coming up here, but I forgot. Mary, what, what, are, what are those things that um, you, you stitch like figures of and they're usually in this like round um, wooden structure and the fabric is? Cross stitch, crochet. Crochet sounds like food. It, 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 is it crochet? I thought maybe it was crochet. Embroidery. That you do hand by hand, and you like it's a little prairie, house on the prairie kind of thing, right? Well, you look on the back of that, it's messy. That's the point, right? <laughs> you look on the back of that, it's messy. In heaven, it'll get flipped, and you'll see the whole thing. Um, I still don't know what that is. All right. Um, so we 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 hold our judgments. We don't we don't say sweeping things, especially not sweepingly like. Despairing things. No, never, never, right? Yeah, withhold our judgments. Um, so one thing about life, life doesn't have the resources within itself to metabolize all of its pains. Um, life has this tragic quality to it, right? Uh, just within the past couple of weeks, like uh, a lot of our, our parents have hit some pretty serious health issues. Uh, my mom was in her 90s, fell, and uh, it's the second time she fell, and, uh, and uh, now she has no mobility. And so my sister uh, had her in her home, and she was fine, but now she has no mobility, and she just went into a nursing home, you know. And um, I can't go see her because she's in the, 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 the area where you can't take any visitors for 20 days. So 
you know, that happened. I, you know, Daniel's dad is still in chemotherapy, but mom got diagnosed with uh, stomach cancer, and we don't know if it's operable or not. That, would, that just happened. You know, Steve's dad uh, just went into the ER. So, you know, life is like that. It, it's going to happen to us all, right? Uh, but like Chris said, you know, my prayers that they're going to be healthy and strong, and all of that's going to be answered. It's just a matter of when, right? And uh, death and disease and decay, it's going to happen to all of us. But life doesn't give us the resources to handle this if we're to find the, all the answers in the four corners of this few decades that we have. Even injustice, like, like how do we make sense of uh, malice and evil? Like life simply doesn't work without eternity. Looking forward to heaven, though, is, is, is this amazing source. It's like a resource by which you can find strength and meaning and calibration in life. I love um, J.D. Greer's uh, book, um, Is It What Are You Going to Do With Your Life? Um, you know, he, he talks about like, how he was going to miss mom and dad you know, when he went off to the mission field. And uh, I think um, it was mom who, who said, hey, in heaven, we're going to have forever and ever uh, to enjoy one another. So it's okay. And then he talks about like, wanting to climb Mount Everest. Like, I guess, why would, anyway, um, if you grow up in North Carolina, maybe there are no mountains, so um, I just need to see Half Dome. That's about, that's about as mountainous as I need to get, but, and, and then he consoled himself by thought of heaven. In other words, FOMO, my bucket list, I'll never get to my bucket list, but it's okay, because in heaven, you don't have to make a bucket list. Because you can get to it all. And that is, that sounds fun. Like, you know, it, it's, it's a fun example. But it's true. All the things that, I don't know if you have FOMO, I don't. I actually really don't have FOMO. Uh, I have like, oh, thank you for leaving me out. Like, I don't need to. You go, just send me some pictures, you know. Um, I'm the great indoorsman. Uh, and uh, in heaven, you know, all of our hunger for wonder and experience will be fully, fully satisfied. Uh, truth. This one uh, is a particular angle for me uh, that I experienced, I think, um, in, my, in the early 90s. Some set of things happened, and I thought, wow, what a consolation heaven is. That you don't have to establish truth here relationally i think i think relational truth is one of the most hardest things to establish but the thing that we try really hard to establish who was right you or your sister i was just i was just looking at a bro with, with a sister that's why that just came to me but and you know in front of your sister you right at what, what the right answer is you're right Chris said that all his life to Yumi. I know she's in the room, so I can say that. Um, who's right? Like this tangled stuff. Like, how do you, how do you, because it matters. You, you, you love each other. So like, what happened there? And, and then to sort it all out, things that are perplexing and baffling to apportion blame. Like, can we do that? Can we do that with all of our biases and limited knowledge? No. And to know that I don't have to figure that out nor ever be proved right 
or wrong. It frees me. It's it just unbelievably freeing. Like, I'm not in that business. I'm not saying, God will vindicate me. No, I'm, I'm saying, that's not my business. You love your neighbor, love your enemies, pray for those who harm you, be at peace with all men. Okay, well, that's actionable. Well, what about, like, just don't worry about that. Leave that to God. In heaven, it will all, it will all be revealed as good to have been. I love that weird grammatical structure that enables me to say this. It will be revealed as good to have been, all of it. It frees me to worship. It frees me to love. It frees me from trying to compete people, compete with people for earthly recognition. That's something I struggled with in my early 30s. I thought I was hot stuff, you know. And uh, most people who eat kimchi think that because I eat hot stuff, I, I am hot stuff. So it's one of the curses of the Korean male. All you Korean males, repent. And then, and then I encountered this parable in a fresh way when Jesus said, hey, you know when people invite you, don't go to the best seats. Lest your host come and say, oh, I'm sorry, this seat was reserved for somebody that's more important than you. That's higher status. You know, the governor is coming. You're just the mayor. Can you go sit with the other mayors? You know? And he said, how, how awful that would be. Just go and look for the lowest seat and hang out with them. And I thought, oh, the Lord knows where to seat me. I don't want to sit and then have Apostle Paul come and clear his throat and say, oh, oh was this your seat? Sorry. <laughs> you know? I just want to sit where Jesus wants me to sit. And so I don't have to clamor for attention. Let the host seat you. And man, that, if that's how it's going to be in heaven, and, and rightness is always satisfying. Right? Like, fake it till you make it. Like, that kind of stressful um, achievement advice is an awful way to live. Like, no, no, no. You, you just... You just let him decide. And, and look what, how much bandwidth and emotional toxin that will just release from you. And you're like, okay, my business is to be servant of all. My business is to not be seen so that God will see. And it will just be for him. Right? It just really frees you. And on and on it goes. On and on it goes. I, I think life is almost meant to draw on the larger, grander, more transcendent reality of eternity. Or else life just doesn't work. It just doesn't compute unless you, unless you sighted along eternal lines. And, and I think the, the, the implications of Easter. Like, like sighting your life based on that will align you to, to reality and to health and to joy and love. And it's a great source for faithful living. It is only if you draw on it. You know, not, like, we're not necessarily all that good with, about drawing on truth that we know. Like, I was trying to figure out the angle um, of, of, I think, uh, like the width of something based on the angle. 
Because when, when we're building the, the, um, the gazebo at Sierra Lodge, that's, that's, a, that's a geometric wonder. I, you know, it's not like one of the ancient wonders, of, but it's, it is a wonder in that we built it. And we had, and, and there was geometry. And um, I couldn't draw implications from my knowledge because I didn't have any. I forgot trigonometry. But there were some engineers there. So I said, hey, you, what is this? You know, because I kind of remember, you know, Sakatawa, you know, cosine, whatever, right? Like, surely. And these guys were like working mechanical engineers. And they were consulting one another. Hey, is it? Is it? It's it's like all I want to know. Is if I have 14 foot two by sixes and I need it to be eight foot here and two foot here, what should I set my saw angle to? And they couldn't figure it out for a while. And they had to draw it, and I'm like, ah, useless people. (laughs) Drawing out implications. Like all of analytical philosophy is this if this premise is true, then this is true. And if this is true, then this is true. Then these cannot possibly be true. Therefore, repent. You know, it's... And you see William Lane Craig do this, and it's like, yeah. Every step. It's like, so true. You try to repeat it. It's like, ah, you, got, you just listen to them tape yourself. We can know something... And not know its obvious implication. How much more to know something and to live out its implication. That's a challenge. That's not automatic. Like, for example, like you know you don't know very much, right? But you're really confident in what you know. It's kind of bizarre. Like, what do you know? Well, there's a lot I don't know. I don't know this. I don't know this. I don't know that. I don't know this. But my principal is stupid and all my teachers are lazy. Like, you know this. I would parent better than my parents. Like, you know this. But you just said you don't know what you're like. I'm just a kid. What do I know? Um, everybody, everybody with a social media account does this, right? Just, their, their mouths lay claim of heaven and earth, as it says in Psalm 73. Um, or, or, or one of my favorite examples of like, knowing something but not living out its implication is the story about a multimillionaire family still tempted by the $1 McDonald's burger deal. Buys a hundred of them, freezes it into the, in the freezer, and every morning and lunch eats that for breakfast and lunch for days to come until it became a bitterness for the child who told me the story. Like, if I'm a millionaire, I don't really need to be tempted by the, oh, but I am. One dollar, are you kidding me? One dollar burger deal. We're getting a hundred of those. Um, So if that's true, this must also be true. It's not necessarily automatic. If that's true, then I should respond in my life this way. That's really not automatic. So Apostle Paul said in a remarkably tough-minded statement, let's look at what he said. And so those of you worried that I didn't read Bible text yet, here it is. 
1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 19. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. I added the then. But, but that's, the, that's the, the, it's the if then, right? If Christ, in Christ we have hope in this life only. In other words, you're a Christian just because you want a good life? You're stupid. You, we're of all people the most to be pitied. No, we trust in Christ because of that life. That's what Apostle Paul is saying. If he's not raised, you're still in your sins. If then... So, but, but Christ has been raised, right? And all of the Bible and all of the rest of, of 1 Corinthians 15 and, and really, indeed, almost every message uh, that's ever preached, it's, it's about that. What are the implications? If then. What are the implications of Jesus' resurrection practically on your life? We need to think that through, right? That's what Apostle Paul is saying. Like, think this through. Repeated thinking through of the implications makes it quicker and more firmer. Repeated thinking it through. You think that through. First of all, think. Turn to your friend and say, dude, think. Think. Think it through. Think it through. What should you think through? What should you think through? The fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And he said to the robber, as much as he says to every one of us, today you will be with me in paradise. I think that through. What are the implications of that? Here's what C.S. Lewis says. Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. A continual looking forward to the eternal world. Continual looking forward to the eternal world. You need to keep thinking about that. I don't know if you're one of these cranky people that like forget something really good is about to happen. I am. And then Kelly reminds me. Oh, you know. Like, tomorrow we're going to do this. I'm like, oh, yeah. I have Mr. Short-Term Memory except, except forward. People say, oh, oh, what are you doing today? I'm like, I don't know. Can you ask Kelly? <laughs> so she reminds me, oh, yeah, tomorrow we're going to see Malachi. You know, like, oh, I forgot about that. You know, I forget to be happy because of good things. So... Hope is a virtue. Like, a lot of people are like that. Don't look at me like I'm some weirdo. Like, you're like that. <laughs> Here I am being vulnerable so that you can relate to me. And you're like... <laughs> we, it's, 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 a, it's a Christian virtue. You have to work at it. Wait. There's heaven. Wait, wait, wait. Life is short. And it's bleak. But life is worth living. 
Because Jesus rose. You've got to keep thinking about that. There's nothing that eternal life doesn't touch, which is why this message is so hard to limit in its scope, which is why I'm going to keep going on and on and on and on. Another couple of hours. So, um, like every other year, I think, for Easter, I preach on Road to Emmaus, and then every other year, I I preach on the implications of Easter. And the implications of Easter can never be exhausted. But, so, let me try it this way. I think um, hope, Easter, resurrection, eternal life, heaven, makes hope a sensible Grounded way to live. It's a sensible and grounded way to live. Now, what is hope? Hope is not not studying and hoping for an A. Hoping for the test to have exactly the questions that you happen to have studied. Um, that's wishful thinking. The, the biblical word hope means the joyful anticipation of something you fully expect to happen. That's hope. That is what C.S. Lewis is pointing out as a theological virtue that the scriptures encourage us toward, a continual looking forward to the eternal world to come. Um, if, If Easter is the center of our faith, if, if Easter is really uh, the first fruit of what is to come, which, which it is repeatedly um, stated to be in Scripture, uh, it, what is true of Jesus will be true of every one of us, right? So it's, it's a, he's the firstborn, the first fruit. Like if that's true, then there's nothing ultimately bleak about life. There's nothing bleak about life because there's nothing final about anything that happens to you. Um, so our, our, our interpretations are always hopeful. Uh, despair scorns that, and it's a huge theme in Lord of the Rings, if you, if you know. Uh, despair says, I know the end already. I know how this is going to end. That's how, that's how uh, Saruman falls, because he thinks he sees the end. Uh, that's the downfall of Denethor, Uh, Again, sorry if you don't know Lord of the Rings. Uh, I know the end already. It's bleak. And therefore, my actions today will be in anticipation of the bleakness. So why try? You know, why do the fools fly? Why? why? And hope is like all sweaty and hardworking because because things look bleak. So you're you're being foolish or you're being unrealistic. Uh, You're protesting against reality. No, I'm not. Because... You don't know how it ends. Like God took the cross of Jesus, the darkest event in history, and turned it into the glorious salvation of souls. Like reaching into the grave and pulling out of it life, joy, and eternity. Uh, If that story is the story, that is the deep structure of reality. Like if that is in our heart, then nothing is bleak. And that's generative of action and obedience. Like we can labor and sweat and persevere through the worst that life can throw at me. Despair is this arrogant, selfish, lazy thing that declares already the end and and therefore you don't have to do anything. And so despair and lazy goes together. Right? Because despair really makes 
really disguises laziness as this sort of uh, pessimistic, philosophical, uh, you know, existential kind of position. It isn't. It's just, it's just arrogance. You don't know, but you, you, you say you know, and then it excuses uh, inaction and laziness. Cynicism, cynicism, being cynical. What's the difference between um, cynicism and despair? Cynicism, I think, has to do with people. At least I think that's one of the acceptable distinctions. Cynicism is despair toward people, right? Like, I know how people are. Uh, everyone's evil and malicious and hypocritical, and you, you'll let me down too. You'll hurt me too. Everyone's a hypocrite. And Hope says, no, a three-time betrayer of Jesus like Peter can be a pillar of the church. Uneducated Galilean fishermen can turn the world upside down for good. Like a guy who was breathing threats and persecution like Saul of Tarsus can be turned into the greatest apostle and the greatest preacher to the Gentiles ever. Uh, Easter Hope says you can be saved minutes from death um, just by turning to Jesus and saying, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So hope is refusing to be despairing about anybody in your life. And, and these, are not, these are not denials of reality. It's not optimism or folly. Hope sees the bleakness clearly, right? It, it's not saying, well, it's not bleak, it's wonderful. No, it, it sees the bleakness clearly, but still works hard against the darkness, knowing that we can be agents of God's reversal. So no matter how things look, we know that God always empowers the weak and turns setbacks into victory. So we move toward the good. We move toward perseverance and endurance and obedience, uh, despite the fear, the dim prospects, uh, long stretches of lack of fruitfulness. No, we, we persevere because heaven will reveal what's truly valuable. It's a discipline and a virtue uh, born of Easter faith. Um, so... Apostle Paul, you know, earlier I said, you know, he had that like remarkably tough-minded statement in 1 Corinthians 15. If the dead are not raised and we're still in our sins, it's hopeless. You know, uh, in another passage it says, the only reasonable course to take is let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Uh, and, then, and then he concludes in this chapter with these words. When the perishable puts on the, the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Right? It's the therefore we're working on today. The implications. Therefore, let's read this together. One, two, three. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Not in vain. Let's, let's just breathe those words to each other and say... Maybe I shouldn't use the word breathe. Everybody has a mask on. Um, let's just bless each other by saying, 
Um, your labor in the Lord is never in vain. Right? Let's say that to each other. Your, your labor in the Lord is never in vain. So, so, so might as well, might as well get started, some of you, right? <laughs> Just assuming you're doing a lot of it and you're like, oh, yes, thank you. But um, I see these middle schoolers taking the opportunity to mess with each other. And so, um, yeah, that kind of, that kind of uh, accountability and intervention is valuable in the eyes of God. You know, really waking each other up, um, attention reset. Um, so, so that, that's what hope of heaven does. It, it, it frames life as uh, robust and livable and uh, like the bleakest things are not bleak. Like we can recover that. Um, all right, I'm, I'm going to have to... Um, Skip some things now. All right, so, so second, it means we have a mission, right? It means we have a mission. So it's interesting, the risen Lord, um, I don't know if, you, if you've ever noticed this, the risen Lord, um, each time he appears, like almost every time he appears, uh, he gives a commission. Um, so... Uh, let's look at this passage. We're not going to look at the whole passage. This is the passage where he appears and scares them, and, and uh, they're, they're frightened. They're startled and frightened and thought they saw a ghost. A, they saw a spirit is ghost. So, like, if you were to act this out, it's pretty fun, right? They're not saying, oh, I feel startled now, you know? Um, anyway, um, why are you troubled? You know, see my hands. And he, uh, and... Um, touch me, touch me. Uh, so it's, it's see, see, touch. Um, and then give me something to eat. Um, broiled fish, right? You know this text. And then he says, um, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. We have a message to proclaim. Um, and then, and then in John, he appears, says, peace with you. Uh, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then of course, Matthew, go therefore make disciples of all nations um, post-resurrection appearance to Peter. Do you love me, Peter? You know that I do, Lord. Well, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. The resurrection of Jesus means that now the power 
and the mission and the love of Jesus has been given to us for, for us to be Jesus in our world. Right? It, 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 it turns life not only into something that we can handle at its bleakest moment, it turns life into a mission field. It turns us into missionaries. We are on mission. Like we have a thing to do. No Christian ever suffers from a loss of purpose. Like what's God's will for me? Like, I mean, I get that. Like people ask that time to time when they're, when they're stuck about whether to, to do this or do that. Um, it, it, it's, it's really a silly question. Like what's God's will for me is that you bear witness to the gospel. Forgiveness of sins, repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name shall be preached to all nations. You are witnesses to these things. Final implication. Final implication is this, that true belonging awaits us in heaven. True belonging. Um, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Um, last, week, last week I was preaching on the uh, Lord's Prayer uh, down at um, Cal Poly Pomona Church. And um, it just took a long time, the first, first words. Our Father in heaven. I think, I think half the message was taken up with that one. Like our Father in heaven. Like what Jesus said, pray like this. You know, Jesus didn't say, oh, you know, just whatever's on your mind. Jesus said, no, pray like this. Our Father in heaven. You know, I, I've, I've recently rediscovered the joy of praying the Lord's Prayer. Um, because, because every word there is like a hook on which you can hang all of your prayers. And, and it arranges very nicely. But what does it mean? What does it mean that, that God is Father? It means that we are relationally defined. All our lives, the world tells us to define ourselves through our achievement. And it's like, no, no, that's a dead end. That's miserable. That leads you to uh, despondency or pride, uh, or more, more likely, like a miserable mixture of both. Terror that you'll lose what you have. Overweening pride that you've got what you have. No, no, no. We're relationally defined. If, if God is our Father, then we are relationally defined. I am the son. I am the daughter. Like, you never outgrow that. You never, you never escape that. Like, that's who you are. That's your identity. You know, this whole issue of identity and, and, and the whole world trying to split us according to the shallowest and most divisive identities. No, our identity is child of God, and it's our father. It's, it's brotherhood of men, right? If God is my father, uh, then wait, you're my sibling, right? So, so that's, that grounds who we are to one another. Uh, but, but Jesus picks this up, right? Jesus, throughout, Throughout all of his ministry, father, my father, your father, like it's all about father, it's all about home. And on the eve of of the crucifixion, it says, in my father's house, in my father's house, you have a place. You have eternal belonging. In other words, it's a place of love, right? Like that's what home is, it's a place of love, place of love and belonging. Like you don't have to work so hard. You're, You're forever accepted as you are 
uh, and you can be totally liberated in that. And, and, and so the word love and the word eternal or forever, love and forever, comes together. Um, what are the implications of this for life, right? Like if this is true, what should you privilege and prioritize in your life? Like love, covenant, relationships, right? Because that's how God is. That's our destiny. We're going to be relationally defined. And love and forever will finally come together. And then we're going to sing in heaven. I don't know if, that, if, like, if you like that. Um, like I do, because I'm one of these people who really love music and appreciate music, but can't produce music at all with my own voice or even with whistling. Ah, so frustrating. But the experience of singing together, um, singing the praises of the one you love. You know, we become typical grandparents. Didn't think we would. But you're wrong if you think you're not going to be the typical something because there's a reason that's typical. So we're always um, showing people pictures of our grandsons. <laughs> come here, come here, let me show you a picture of my grandson. And we want to invite people into joy and adoration and, and worship of this round child. And we, have, we've, we don't have objectivity when we look at the face of our grandchildren. They don't look particular to us. They look perfect to us. So naturally we think, would you join me in watching this little video in which Artemo does this really cute little thing? And other people are like, oh, oh he's nice. <laughs> you know? And they're walking away kind of thinking, he's kind of funny looking. And, um... So that, that, that joy, <laughs> the joy of adoration... Of, of even, like, someone like, you know, Timo, who doesn't do much, you know? Just big round face. And, um, like, y- y- you elevate that, and, and you, bring, you bring around that uh, a throng of people. Um, you know, I always talk about the joy of watching your team win. I still remember... The um, one and only, uh, I thought it was going to continue, but the one and only uh, father-son retreat at SMC many, many years ago. And that was when the Golden State Warriors were ascendant and fought the evil empire of, uh, I think, the Miami Heat. I think it was that, it was that game. Oh, it was, it was OKC. So it wasn't, it was Kevin Durant. It wasn't, it wasn't the uh, other guy. LeBron. It wasn't LeBron. Anyway. And our team was down, our team was down, and then catching up, catching up. And then, like, with seconds left, I think it was a three-pointer by um, Steph Curry. And I think the, just the joy in that room. 
the eruption of spontaneous joy from father, son, child, the kids standing on the chair to see. And, and the fact that it was like Easter. It was like from death to life, you know? And then five minutes afterwards, it's like, ah, you know? But, but we get glimpses of, of how cool heaven's going to be when, when you are worshiping everything represented by a grand, grandfather's love for his grandson. And, uh, you know, young loves mutual adoration and appreciation for nature and music and... Uh, finally executed three-pointer, you know. Like, like you take all of that and you add it all up and then you kind of amplify that. Uh, your heart is going to burst with the desire for forever, right? And so the fact that love, home, and forever come together uh, in heaven. Uh, yeah, so how should we live? We should live for love, for worshiping God, and for ever and ever. All right, so let's all stand. Uh, I'm going to give you just a, a minute to think about the implications of Easter and the practical implication of Easter, uh, that hope is reasonable, it's sensible, uh, it's really the only way to live, uh, living in hope. Um, the bleaker things are, the harder things are, the sweeter uh, our devotion and our, our strength uh, of commitment becomes. And so use this time, use difficulties as a time to, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm just living off of the resources of now. But wow, I need to reach uh, deeper, higher, longer, and bring heaven perspective, Easter perspective into this situation and watch your heart grow, right? And then purpose, mission, risen Lord says, hey, there's a dying world and a message to proclaim. Um, and then we do so uh, with love and eternity in our hearts. So let's, uh, let's pray uh, those themes uh, before we close with our, our final praise set. So let's pray.